I'm Timothy Putnam, and I'll be your host for the next hour. Each week, we gather right here to explore the foundations of our faith, to look at the implications of our faith on our daily lives, so that together, you and I can prepare to live outside the walls. How are you doing on this lovely Easter day? I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, wait, you're a little bit behind. Did I miss an episode? Is something going on? Are they replaying? No. <laughs> no, this is this is the Saturday uh, of the seventh day of Easter. Easter is like Christmas, is not a one-day feast. But unlike Christmas, the party don't stop. Because here we are on day seven of Easter. Tomorrow will be the octave of Easter. We'll talk about what that means a little bit later in the show. But Easter goes on for 50 days. That's right. You don't have to stop partying. You don't have to stop feasting for 50 days. Here we are in the midst of just the highest celebration in the church here as we remember as we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ and what that means for us, what that means for us having been redeemed by Christ's death and resurrection, we are made again uh, to have relationship with God. We're brought back into union with God. And so here we are, we're celebrating. Uh, no fasting, no, uh, no penance during this time. The church does ask us to, uh, to sometimes fast and to sometimes uh, live penitentially. Even if we're in the middle of some celebration personally, the church says, hey, now is a good time for you all, all of us who call ourselves by the name of Christ, uh, to spend some time in contemplation and penance. Uh, but at the same time, here we come to Easter, and now it's a time of feasting. Now it's a time that even if you're not having the greatest month in the world, the greatest year in the world, now we celebrate. We celebrate all that that the gospel brings to us, that we have been reunited with Christ, that we have been given gifts by the Holy Spirit, that we have been raised with Christ uh, to, this, to the point that, that now uh, those things which dogged us and which tempted us and which uh, in, our, in our former life, which, which put us down and, and made us uh, really desolate, those things have been uh, put to death. On the cross, we have been crucified with Christ. Paul would say, and now, now in Christ's resurrection, it's no longer we who live, but Christ who lives in us. So here we are uh, celebrating the octave of Easter. Uh, I have talked with, I've talked with my wife that maybe we should do the Easter egg hunts on the octave of Easter, which is also Divine Mercy Sunday. We should do it on on the octave because all of the candy is so much cheaper. You know, you everyone else has done their Easter egg hunts. And, and we go and we, we clean up, right? We, we haven't done that yet, but it's still in the back of my head that maybe we should celebrate those, those cultural aspects, those things which are not part of the liturgical year. Maybe we should celebrate those cultural things a little bit later and, and uh, be thrifty at the same time. She's not taking me up on it yet. Uh, but we did, well, this year, we, uh, we did the whole shebang. Uh, we have, as you know, Six kids. Our oldest is nine. We uh, our our seventh is expected late July and early August. And we're like, you know, let's let's celebrate our Catholic identity this year to the nth degree. So on Wednesday, we went to the the Tenebrae service that the bishop here in Lexington uh, conducted. Uh, lovely service. If you've never been to a Tenebrae service, I I highly encourage you to do so next year. Uh, to find one in the area. It's a, 
psalms and kind of like, honestly, it's kind of like a Vespers with, uh, with candles, right? You get a little bit of extra going on there uh, at that specific tenebrae service. So we had the tenebrae service with the bishop on Wednesday. Uh, Thursday, we, we went to Monday, Thursday services. Uh, Friday, we went to Good Friday services. Saturday, we did the Easter vigil. Oh, and th- Friday, we, uh, we did the early the early Good Friday service because they uh, they had confessions. Well, they had Stations of the Cross at uh, 12.30, and then they had confession from 1 to 3, and then they had a 3 o'clock uh, reverence uh, re- of the cross, right, where, where you could go and venerate the cross and receive communion at three o'clock. And then they also had the evening one. And I've seen where people have done stations at three, three, of course, being the hour that Christ died. Uh, But for us, it was good as a family because it let us spend that whole day really focusing on the crucifixion. From 1230 until three, we as a whole family were uh, were gathered there remembering Christ's sacrifice on Friday. So Saturday, we did the Easter vigil because we are gluttons for punishment. We took all of our children. Uh, we don't do nursery for Mass. Uh, for, so for the Tenebrae service, we put our, our younger three into the nursery. Uh, but when we do Mass, we do Mass as a family, and the kids know this, and they do a pretty good job. So Saturday, uh, for the Easter vigil, it started at 9 p.m., an hour after the kids' bedtime, because why not? And it was a full three hours and 15 minutes. Uh, we, we had, there was, a, I think, 11 candidates who were baptized and confirmed, and it was glorious, just absolutely glorious. We got to have uh, that, that Easter vigil celebration. And then, of course, the, the liturgy is different for the vigil than it is for Sunday morning. Uh, on the vigil, we go through all the readings from Genesis, uh, outlying the, the covenants that God has made with his people, outlying the, the fall from grace that we continually as his people stepped into, and then culminating, of course, with his triumphant death and resurrection on the cross and his resurrection. So that was, uh, that was we were up until... Uh, 12.15 is when the service got out. We're about 30 minutes from home. We gathered into the car and then realized that we were going to go have uh, lunch with some friends after Mass the next day, and we did not have a cooler. We we had no way to transport the food to their house and to keep it cool, because it was refrigerated stuff, uh, while we were in Mass. So Walmart's 24 hours. So we went to Walmart, and of course, everyone that had forgotten their last-minute Easter things, they were in there at twelve thirty. So it was a it was a good one o'clock after we got checked in and got to the house and got the kids put to bed. So we made the executive decision that we are we are going. Not we did not say we are going to sleep in tomorrow. We're not going to mass. We we met our obligation. That would be a rational thing. No, we said okay, that does it. We're doing the eleven thirty service. So we uh, we got up the next morning. Uh, enjoyed just the, the stillness of the morning, remembering that Christ is risen. We hear those words, and it can be so easy to forget in the busyness. Christ is risen. And that has definite implications for the way that we live our lives. We are a people who live in hope. We're saved in hope. Uh, I, I tell people all of the work of redemption was completed on the cross, 
if Christ had not raised, in my understanding, we would be no less saved, but we wouldn't know it. The resurrection provides us the proof and the hope that God became man, dwelt among us, died for our sins, and has brought us back into union with him. The resurrection is that thing by which we can point to and look at and say, yes, I have hope. I'm redeemed. God God has made a way for me to choose. God has made a way for me to uh, to come into relationship with him and to, to change my attitudes and change my actions in such a way that they foster that relationship. So uh, we got up, we did Easter, and then we went and we celebrated. We had a feast with people that we hardly knew, but you know what? We're all family. We're family in Christ. We've been grafted into this beautiful uh, worldwide family of God. So that was our Easter uh, the kids did their little Easter egg hunt at the house. And one of the things that it does for you when you go to all those services is you feel how long it really is. You know, Kristen uh, saw on Facebook a meme that said, gosh, it wasn't Friday like two minutes ago? And she looked at me and said, no, Friday was forever ago because we participated in the life of the church. We, we participated in stillness on Saturday to really let that sink in what Saturday was all about. And then Sunday, we started the feast. And we have continued the feast. Each day, we've continued the feast. Uh, and so here we are part way through Easter. And, uh, and we're going to talk a little bit about the Feast of Easter uh, and, and why it's 50 days and, uh, and how, how you can celebrate it. So Easter ends on Pentecost, and Pentecost, of course, was an was is a, a Jewish feast, uh, the Shavuot, which was always on the fiftieth day after Passover, uh, and so that's why all of the people in the Book of Acts, why that's why all the people were gathered into Jerusalem, and why so many people heard the apostles preaching the good news in their language. They were there for the feast of Shavuot. Now. We call it Pentecost. It's the Greek version of that. And it means 50 days, 50th day. Uh, and so Easter is going to go all the way up to Pentecost. Pentecost is the day that Christ sent his Holy Spirit, that God the Father sent the Holy Spirit on the, the fledgling church, the apostles there. And in the power of the Holy Spirit, they preached the good news, and 3,000 were added to their number on that day. And we see that in Acts, the ch second chapter of the book of Acts. And so all the way up until then, we're going to be celebrating Easter, and then we celebrate the birth of the church, uh, and then we get to ordinary time. But we'll talk about that later. Today, we're talking about Easter. Don't go anywhere. When we come back, we're going to talk with Jeremy Priest. He is the Director of Marriage and Family Life for the Diocese of Tulsa, also a graduate of the Liturgical Institute. We're going to talk to him about what the octave is, what the season of Easter is, and how you can celebrate it more fully. Why don't you join me over on facebook.com slash step outside the walls on Twitter. The handles at outside the walls. Tell me a little bit about your Easter celebration. I'm curious. We'll be right back right after this. Welcome back to Outside the Walls. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam. 
Today, we're talking about the celebration of Easter. Happy Easter. Christ is risen. Alleluia. We're going to spend the next uh, few weeks really relishing those alleluias because they were removed from our ears over the course of the Lenten season. Now we have them back and, and the church throws them in every single place possible. We're making up for lost time. Uh, we're here today talking with Jeremy Priest. He's the Director of Family Life and Pro-Life Activities for the Diocese of Tulsa. Jeremy, thank you for being on the show today. It's a pleasure to be with you, Timothy. So I wanted to talk to you uh, about liturgy because you are a graduate of the Liturgical Institute there in uh, in the Chicago area, yeah? I am. Uh, the Liturgical Institute is a fantastic place to study, and I was blessed to be there for two years. Great. We had a, an interview just probably about a month ago, maybe a little bit more, with uh, with one of the folks there, uh, Jeremy Weiler, about the upcoming, well, actually, it's it's happening right now, the, the Transfigured Young Adult Liturgy Conference. Uh, and so just everything I know of the Liturgical Institute is just top-notch. Uh, it's right there in next to Mundelein Seminary, correct? It's it's on the campus, yeah, So, which is gloriously beautiful. So not only do you have this beautiful atmosphere, but you also have uh, the chapel, the seminarians, and the glorious liturgy that's celebrated there. Yeah, and, and I feel a little bit of a kinship with you, Jeremy, because you are uh, now the director of Family Life. Of course, uh, some time ago, I was the director of Family Life there in Tulsa, and you also go to St. Anne's there with uh, with Father Castle, uh, which we had a we had our row right up front where we took about half the row with our family, and so I have this uh, just looking at your Facebook pictures and, and keeping up with what's going on with your family. I have this sense of of camaraderie already with you. <laughs> it's it's really funny that uh, we en- we ended up here and we ended up at St. Anne's as well. Um, yeah, so I, I don't know what God's doing with that, but He's mm. uh, He's put a, put us both in the same place. Yeah, so Saint Anne's, of course, has uh, this beautiful, almost probably probably not even almost uh, an acre of the Stations of the Cross just spread around this little park, and so at three o'clock on Good Friday, at the hour of Christ's death, uh, the whole congregation kind of makes this little mini pilgrimage. Uh, around the Stations of the Cross, and uh, did you get a, a chance to participate in that this year? I, I didn't, actually, but uh, several of my friends did, and I think there were 400 uh, oh, wow. there this year. That's great. Yeah. Mm. So let's talk about the the Easter season. Uh, you know, growing up Protestant, Easter was the big day. You got your brand new clothes, you put them on, you got your Easter baskets with a stuffed animal. I mean, this is we had our own little liturgy, uh, as Protestants, of the things to expect. Uh, and then after you you had ham, of course, because uh, even though it wasn't kosher, Christ came to free us from the law, therefore, and that's why my mom did it. Therefore, you had ham for Easter uh, lunch. And, uh, and then the next day, we moved on. But the Catholic Church calls us to this feast uh, in a protracted way for, for the course of 50 days and then also in a specific way in these first eight days, uh, the octave of, of Easter. Talk to me a little bit about the reasons and the ways that the church celebrates during these, these 50 days. Well, the octave really develops out of the Jewish tradition from um, all sorts of different pieces. If you look in Leviticus 8 and 9, where the Levitical priests are ordained, they're ordained over a course of seven days, but they don't actually begin until the eighth day. 
And this, this is specifically referred to um, throughout the Old Testament. Um, the eighth day is the culmination of the Feast of Tabernacles. Um, the, the, feast of, uh, the, the Feast of Passover lasts eight days. You have all of these eights um, throughout the Old Testament. And to some extent, um, it's not fully explained why this is the case uh, in there. So it's something of a mystery, but there's a tension between the first day, which begins everything, and then the, the seven days, which progress through, and then the eighth day, which culminates things. So there's a tension between um, this beginning and then this fulfillment. And the eighth day really marks the great fulfillment. So you see this in John 7, 37 through 39, um, where Jesus stands up on the last day, the great day of the Feast of Tabernacles right there. So there's, there's this deep sense that um, the eighth day is somehow a culmination of fulfillment um, that we're looking towards, that we're, that we're moving towards, that we're celebrating, that God has more for us than, than simply just the historical reenactment of the Exodus or um, the giving of the law at Sinai, but that there, there's, there's something beyond that where God is moving us. And uh, the, Jewish, the Jewish celebration of these feasts, as we go into the Second Temple period and indeed into the New Testament, uh, bears witness to this. Um, so if, if I can go on, um, mm-hmm, absolutely. Uh, the Gospel of John is a great place to look with regard to this. Because what you see there is uh, a, a sense of this first day of the week. Can you get the first day of the week, both in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they speak about the first day of the week. Right. Um, Jesus finds himself not only being crucified in the garden, but he, he, he rises there as well. So there's this, not only um, do we have the first day of the week, which is also the eighth day, but we have this place and location for us which is the garden, which harkens us back, of course, to the garden, to the Garden of Eden, right. in which the fall takes place on the eighth day. Mm-hmm. Right? The fall takes, takes place on the first day of the week. It's the first day after, after the seventh day. And indeed, oh, happy fault, oh, uh, oh necessary sin of Adam that won for us such, great, such a great redeemer, right? Right. That we sung at the exalted on Easter uh, Easter Vigil. Now, I'm interested um, so in this this idea of, of course, the eighth day is a theological concept as well, that Christ, as he, uh, as he, he was resurrected, we celebrate on Sunday, not because it's uh, the first day of the week, but because it's the first day of new creation, the eighth day yes. of creation. But as you're bringing up the Gospel of John, I think back to Christ appeared to his apostles there on the day of his resurrection. And... Mm. Uh, of course, without Thomas, right? Right. And so the eighth day of of resurrection is the day that he appeared again to the apostles, this time with Thomas. And I wonder right. if there's something to that of now Now we have this completion where the whole of the apostles have now seen uh, Christ raised from the dead there in, in the book of John. It, absolutely, absolutely. In, in John 20, 26, John says it specifically eight days later. Um, mm-hmm. This happens this time with Thomas there. And so I think what we have here in John is a deep illustration of this tension between the resurrection on Easter Sunday 
and the eighth day, where Thomas is a symbol of what has yet been, has yet to be touched by the resurrection. Right? Mm-hmm. There's, there's, there's that which has not yet been touched by the resurrection, and the Lord Himself longs to, to bring His peace, uh, His restoration, the fullness of His mercy, uh, right there in that place. And so he says to Thomas, uh, no longer, you know, be in your disbelief, but believe. Um, I love Thomas because one, Thomas is uh, a stand in for all of us who have questions mm. that, that blessed are you because you've, you've seen and believed, but blessed more are those who have not seen and yet believe, right? So we have that. But Thomas, as I read it, is also the first one of all the, you know, he only ever asked for what the other apostles received in his absence. Uh, and so it wasn't so much doubting as much as, well, I'll, I'll believe it when I, when I have what you have. But I love that when, when Thomas sees Christ and when we never see that he actually does put his hands in, in the side, we see that Thomas falls to his knees and says, my Lord and my God. And so here we have the very first proclamation of the divinity of Christ coming from Thomas, and not from the mm. last week, the other apostles, they saw him and they trembled with fear and they were excited and happy. And, but there was no declaration of divinity. And that comes again now here on the eighth day. In, indeed. Indeed. This, this is a, a fullness, a fullness that happens here with, with Thomas on the eighth day, a fullness of realization of what God, uh, who God is and what God has hoped for for us. And what God has brought to us in Jesus um, that we see happen on the eighth day. So as we celebrate this, Easter is certainly a memorial of the, of the historical event of the resurrection. But in terms of this tension, the celebration of the eighth day that we will celebrate uh, this coming Sunday, Divine Mercy Sunday, uh, points toward and leans toward God's desire to seek and to save the lost and to bring us to the final consummation of, of the kingdom, of his hopes, hopes for us, of uh, the, the fullness of Christ's life in the new age to come. Mm-hmm. So here we have 50 days that we're celebrating this resurrection. We'll talk about that a little bit more after the break. But we have this, this larger celebration where we realize that, that Christ has restored us to new life. But here in these eight days, we, uh, we have in a special way uh, really focusing our full attention on what it means for Christ to have died, for Christ to have raised, and to bring us new life and new creation here in this octave of Easter. We're talking today with Jeremy Priest. He's the Director of Family Life and Pro-Life Activities for the Diocese of Tulsa. He's also a graduate of the Liturgical Institute just outside of Chicago, Illinois. We're talking with him today about Easter, both the season of Easter and the octave of Easter. Why don't you go over to social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls on Twitter. The handle's at outside the walls. And talk to me a little bit about your Easter traditions. How have you been celebrating Easter this year? We'll be right back. Welcome back to Outside the Walls. I'm your host, T. 
Timothy Putnam. We're talking today about Easter, this 50-day feast. We spent 40 days fasting, but have no fear. Uh, we, we're going to spend more time celebrating the fact that we have been redeemed than we spent uh, analyzing our own fallenness. So here we are in the octave of Easter, uh, tomorrow, of course, being the octave. We also celebrate Divine Mercy Sunday. Uh, and we just now talked with uh, Jeremy Priest about the eighth day being a sense of culmination. And uh, of course, today our guest is Jeremy Priest, Director of Family Life and Pro-Life Activities for the Diocese of Tulsa. Jeremy, thank you again for being on the show. Oh, it's wonderful. And so pleased to be talking about these wonderful realities of the liturgical year. So here we are. We're, uh, we've made it to the eighth day. We've talked about the significance uh, of the, the octave, the eight days. Uh, now, we're not done yet. This feast, as they say, the party don't stop. Uh, we're continuing <laughs> in this feast uh, all the way through the Feast of Pentecost, which is the 50th day of Easter. So here we are. Uh, how do One, why do we go for 50 days? And two, how do we go for 50 days? Well, I mean, to look at this, is to say, you know, Pentecost is the feast, feast of weeks, seven weeks of seven days, um, plus one, we have 50 days. This, this is encapsulated in the Sabbath, which was the capstone of the consecration of time based on patterns of seven. Mm-hmm. Um, historically, we move from the exodus from Egypt to the covenant finalized and uh, and made made firm at Sinai. So historically, this is this is the movement here. But uh, as Joseph Ratzinger, Pope Benedict XVI, uh, makes clear in the spirit of the liturgy, the Passover that we see in Exodus 12 is sealed by the giving of the law and the sealing of the covenant in Exodus 24. Mm-hmm. So the tribes uh, that go through Passover become God's covenant people at Sinai. The same thing happens with, with the resurrection, with the last supper and the cross. It becomes this event here for the reconstituted Israel. But then what we see at Pentecost is the fulfillment of this in all of these languages being spoken in the giving of the Holy spirit, um, which takes the particular reality of, what Jesus did, and he universalizes it for everyone, everywhere, and invites all these people into the kingdom, um, into the covenant um, that Jesus Christ himself has sealed uh, with his cross, death, resurrection, and ascension. Um, So so Pentecost, uh, these 50 days that we celebrate, this Easter victory is a movement from... uh, we might say the particular to the universal and bringing, bringing this victory everywhere. Well, I love this picture. Uh, in, in the book of Genesis, you have this group of people who say, we can ascend through our own might and through our own knowledge, and we can become uh, like God by building a tower up to the gods. Therefore, if we can get up there, then we have as much power. And, and through that, that self-actualization, uh, all of the languages of the world were, uh, were created. The people were scattered. They were no longer able to communicate with one another. This at the Tower of Babel in the book of Genesis. And so here we have, uh, after the resurrection of Christ, at the, at the arrival of the Spirit of God, God now says, 
Okay, so all of you who were scattered and your language was scattered uh, while you were trying to become God on your own, now let me fill you with my spirit. And through becoming one with God, now I'm going to take all these languages that are in the world and I'm going to make them one uh, through the utterance of my spirit. And in that, we get back to what the people said way back in the Tower of Babel. Uh, if we put our mind to it, what can we, uh, there's nothing we can't accomplish, right? That's what God said about them. And that's what God says about us now who are recipients of his spirit is that in Christ, in this redemption that we've received through, uh, through the giving of his spirit, there's nothing that we can't accomplish. And, and Pentecost really speaks this. Uh, and so this 50, these 50 days of Easter is a, is a receptivity to the Holy Spirit and what, what God has done in Christ. We might say, as Jesus starts the Gospel of Luke with the proclamation of the great jubilee, uh, as, he, as he brings that to fulfillment in the cross and the resurrection, we are bearing the fruits of that great jubilee. Mm -hmm. And so Easter, um, we might say, is, is the perfect time to, to start embodying all those realities that the Lord has won for us, liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, uh, letting the oppressed go free, all of, all of these things. So um, we, we give gifts at Christmas, but uh, to some extent, uh, our, our giving of gifts should take us to the streets right. uh, as we celebrate Easter. So now let's talk about that. We're moving into the practical. What does it look like for us as individuals, for us as families, and for us as parish communities to celebrate Easter in a way that isn't just a remembrance, but is an embodiment of Christ's resurrection? Yeah, I think I think what this this speaks. Um, if we if we see the great season of Lent as an an interior penitential season, really Easter Easter is the externalization of that and bringing that, like I said, bringing that out to the streets. Um, so not only do we see uh, in the family what that might look like with regard to kindness to your neighbors, blessings in your in your neighborhood. Um, here in Tulsa, we're still uh, we're enjoying the fruits of spring. But as you go by some some people's homes, you can see that um, they they don't have the means of doing any sort of spring cleaning. I mean, what what kind of gift is this that we could bring? Um, to some of these homes in our community just to, to come over and to lend a hand and to, to show the gift of God's goodness and mercy and uh, joy uh, that we receive in the, the Easter season. Uh, the great gift of Divine Mercy Sunday that we'll celebrate uh, uh, this coming Sunday, bringing people to the sacrament of confession, reconciliation, God wanting to give complete pardon to the souls that that uh, go to confession, receive Holy Communion um, next Sunday. Um, so, so both evangelization and uh, the the corporal works of mercy uh, that the Church shows us really can can be the uh, uh, the way of expressing this in in our families and in our communities. Well, and we as an Easter people uh, remember Christ's new command that we heard on Thursday. Uh, last week, that a new command I give to you, love one another, and, and further, that they will know that you are my disciples by the love mm. you have for one another. And so mm. as we begin to externalize Easter, 
what better way is there to do it than through our these corporal works of mercy, through this external, obvious uh, love for our neighbor, for our community? Uh, while this may be more of, more of the extrovert's paradise, there is still plenty of place for those who may not be quite so bold uh, to join in into a communal activity uh, to bring Christ to the world in a very physical Matthew 25, what you've done for the least of these you've done to me kind of a way. Indeed, uh, as we were mentioning at the beginning of the show, uh, both of us are have been parishioners at St. Anne's in the uh, the ministry of compassion that the, the parish runs and really reaches out to the community. So many, so many places there where someone who might, who might not be so bold as to uh, uh, reach out to a specific home in their, their neighborhood um, through the ministry of compassion, you can really uh, uh, be brought out into such a situation or Catholic charities in your community. Right. Um, it just really depends well, just about every parish has some form of benevolence ministry that you can be involved with, whether that's providing uh, to a food bank, a local food bank, whether mm-hmm. it's uh, going to specific, you know, St. Anne's, of course, has not only the, the ministry of compassion, but they've got a, a group of guys that goes out and, and helps with the tasks that maybe some people aren't able to do in their house. So they use their handy uh, use their hammer for the glory of God. Some people use their, you know, help fix cars of, of single parents who are unable to, to make that kind of, uh, of sacrifice. And so you can, whatever gift you've been given, you can turn that yeah. around and use that for the glory of God. Amen. And, and the greatness of, of the season of Easter is, is that we can do this in such a way that, um, as Mother Teresa would say, uh, um, uh, do do something just foolish uh, that looks foolish to the world. Um, just heaping God's mercy and goodness in a place where uh, I think she was picking the maggots out of the, mm-hmm. the rotting flesh of someone they had pulled out of the street. Um, and the reporter who's looking over her shoulder says, Late, says to her later, I wouldn't do, have done that for a million dollars. And she said, neither would I. <laughs> <laughs> Into the world, it just looks, just looks foolish. But um, to those who know and to those who understand and have received God's mercy, uh, reaching out, as you said, in, in Matthew 25 terms, um, and touching Christ and the poorest of the poor, um, that speaks in a way that uh, almost nothing else can speak. Of course, we need to speak. Uh, this doesn't doesn't release us uh, from from that obligation to share the good news, but uh, it, it certainly speaks in a way that that is powerful. We've been talking today with Jeremy Priest, director of Family Life and Pro Life Activities for the Diocese of Tulsa, about Easter and our celebration of that feast. Jeremy, thanks for being on the show today. Timothy, it's been such a blessing uh, to actually connect with you. Join us over on Facebook.com slash Step Outside the Walls. On Twitter, the handle's at Outside the Walls. And talk to me about how you plan to celebrate this Easter. What are some activities that you're looking on getting your family involved or things that you're doing at your church? Let's continue this conversation. We'll be right back.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the foundations and implications of our faith on our daily lives. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam. Today, we're talking about the season of Easter. Here we are tomorrow on the octave of Easter, uh, octave being the eighth day. Uh, so we celebrate the the eight days in a very profound way, but we're still only at the very beginning of our 50-day celebration of the resurrection of Christ. We fasted for 40 days as we examined our own fallenness, and when we then turn our gaze to look at Christ and his sufficiency, well, there, there ain't no party like a resurrection party. Uh, so we're going to celebrate for 50 days in a time of feasting. So uh, that's right. Go ahead, pull out that candy bar. Uh, go ahead and eat a little bit more of that Easter candy from the, the eggs. That's okay. You know, just go for it. We are in the middle of a feast. We talked today with Jeremy Priest. He is the Director of Family Life and Pro-Life Activities for the Diocese of Tulsa. He's also a graduate of the Liturgical Institute, and we had a great conversation about the origins uh, and uh, and the ways that we can practically celebrate the both the octave and the whole of this season of Easter. So if you missed any part of this uh, show, any part of this episode, and you want to listen to the rest of it, or if you just want to share this with one of your friends, by all means, go over to OutsideTheWalls.com. Uh, you can listen to the archive right there in the episode archives. You can also subscribe via iTunes or the Google Music Store on your uh, preferred podcast listening device. Uh, and then if you are over in the iTunes store, by all means, leave me a rating. It's as easy as clicking the, the stars uh, to the appropriate level. Of course, that would be all the way up to five. Uh, or click that write a review and uh, leave leave a little bit of a comment. Let me know what you think of the show. You can also let me know what you think of the show right over on Facebook, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle is at outside the walls. Uh, that's where we continue this conversation of whatever the topic has been. I, I post salient articles, uh, a couple of pithy statements. We also post the the archives up there when the uh, when the show has aired and it's finished and it's ready to be put out on the podcast. That's one of the first places it goes. So by all means, go check us out over on social media. So here we are. We're talking about Easter, the octave of Easter, and we mentioned uh, Saint Thomas. And in his declaration, and it just so happens that that is the reading for tomorrow uh, out of the gospel. So you want to make sure that you're paying attention and say, hey, we just talked about that on the show yesterday. Uh, see, now you're prepared for Mass. You're welcome. That's, that's what we do here. We, we explore the foundations and, and the implications of faith on daily life. That's what we do here. But because, because we've addressed that and because you're going to hear that tomorrow, uh, we're going to do all of our readings today from Scripture and from church history out of the breviary. Uh, I was planning on doing one of the readings from tomorrow's Octave Feast because there are some really good ones. Uh, there's a great epistle from our first Pope, St. Peter. Uh, but, but Paul trumped us. He, he often does. Here we are. We're living as Easter people. We're trying to figure out, how do, I, how do I go about this? I know how to go to Mass. I've got that figured out. It was, it was uh, really hammered into me as a young child. I know how to go to Mass and pretty much sit still and not roll my eyes too much at Father when he says whatever he says. We've got that part. Great. But, but what do we do? How do we take this Christian life and this Christian faith in light of the resurrection and go out and live differently? How do we change our world uh, for the better? How do we change our own lives 
for the better. I mean, sometimes we think, good gracious, how can we change the world? I can't even figure out how to change myself. Well, Paul, in the book of Colossians, gives us this short little passage that basically is the Christian life summed up in a few verses. This is the book of Colossians chapter 3. And when I saw that this was the, the, bre- uh, the bravery reading for today, uh, I, I just quit even looking to see what else we could talk about because this, this is synthesized, the Christian life, in six short paragraphs. This is what he has to say. It's the, the book of Colossians chapter 3. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you once walked when you lived in them, but now put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and foul talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old nature with its practices and have put on the new nature, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there cannot be Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free man, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassion, kindness, lowliness, meekness, and patience, forbearing one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, as you teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. And as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God, and whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. That reading again comes from the book of Colossians, chapter 3. And our reading from church history today actually is going to reference that just a little bit. It's, it's a homily given on the octave of Easter by St. Augustine to the new crop of neophytes who have just now joined the church. And he says this, I speak to you who have just been reborn in baptism, my little children in Christ, you who are the new offspring of the church, gift of the Father, proof of Mother Church's fruitfulness. All of you who stand fast in the Lord are a holy seed, a new colony of bees, the very flower of our ministry and fruit of our toil, my joy and my crown. It is the words of the apostle that I address to you. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh and its desires so that you may be clothed with the life of him whom you have put on in this sacrament. You have all been clothed with Christ by your baptism in him. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female. 
you are all one in Christ Jesus. Such is the power of this sacrament. It is a sacrament of new life, which begins here and now with the forgiveness of all past sins, and will be brought to completion in the resurrection of the dead. You have been buried with Christ by baptism into death, in order that as Christ has risen from the dead, you also may walk in newness of life. You are walking now by faith, still on pilgrimage in a mortal body away from the Lord. But he to whom your steps are directed is himself the sure and certain way for you, Jesus Christ, who for our sake became man. For all who fear him, he has stored up abundant happiness, which he will reveal to those who hope in him, bringing it to completion when we have attained the reality which even now we possess in hope. This is the octave day of your new birth. Today is fulfilled in you the sign of faith that was prefigured in the Old Testament by the circumcision of the flesh on the eighth day after birth. When the Lord rose from the dead, he put off the mortality of the flesh. His risen body was still the same body, but it was no longer subject to death. By his resurrection, he consecrated Sunday, or the Lord's Day. Though the third after his passion, this day is the eighth after the Sabbath, and thus also the first day of the week. And so your own hope of resurrection, though not yet realized, is sure and certain, because you have received the sacrament or sign of this reality and have been given the pledge of the Spirit. If then you have risen with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your hearts on heavenly things, not on the things that are on earth, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ your life appears, then you too will appear with him in glory. That reading comes from a sermon given to the newly baptized by St. Augustine on the octave of Easter this eighth day. What a profound reminder to them who, who have just been baptized and also to us who have just now renewed our baptismal promises on Easter. Here we are remembering that we've died. We've spent this whole season of Lent looking at our own fallenness, looking and really putting to death those things in us that were not holy. And then we have now been raised through Easter, through Christ, with Christ. Uh, And so now life has to look different. Life must look different for us who have experienced the resurrection than, than it did before. And this is the way. This is the way to set our minds on things above, not not to put our head in the clouds so that we're no earthly good, but to realize that the things of heaven have sway over the things of earth. It, it affects the way we treat one another. It affects the way that we interact with the world around us. And so I encourage you, live in light of the resurrection. Be an Easter people. Clothe yourselves in the character of Christ. That's all the time we have this week. Outside the Walls is made possible by the generous contributions of our friends of the show. Heard on live streaming, terrestrial radio, and podcast. Find out showtimes and more information over at OutsideTheWalls.com. Until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Peace.